I'm so grateful you guys are here. Welcome to our second service. We're glad to all of you that are here that are our guests, that are our regulars. Uh, I, I'm just uh, so grateful you're here. As many of you know, this past month was our missions month, and some of the speakers were just unbelievable. That guy, Wally Mongundal, he's my friend. Death row, Saudi Arabia, like willing to risk it all, thought it was all going to happen, and he didn't... Sh- he didn't share this, but the minute that he got off of the plane and put his foot as a free man in the Philippines was the moment that his execution was set to, be, to, to happen. And so I just told him, I said, we just got to have you back. We're so grateful for you. But uh, it wasn't just with him, right? The, Brittany and Doug Favuza. Uh, Brittany was a student of mine back in Bible college. It just doesn't surprise me. All she did was walk, talk, sleep, eat Jesus, and God is doing great things in their life. And of course... Uh, Emily and Brian Griswold. Emily, like I was in their home, like a part, I can't take credit for her, but raising that girl when she was little, watching her week in and week out, and just, uh, it blows my mind and encourages my heart. She is not going to Bible colleges. She's going to college campuses where Christians are gathering, and she's saying to them, hey, before you build your 401k and your career, why don't you give a year of your life to Jesus in India and help human trafficking victims? Listen, Bible college is great, and it prepares people to prepare people to do the work of ministry, but you don't have to be in Bible college to be a minister, and God wants to use you for who you are. And I love what she said, man. She said that God didn't call somebody else. He called me, which means that he loves me and he wants to use me the way I am. There's no fingerprint the same. There's no snowflake alike. God loves you and knows you and made you the way you are. We just have to always be vigilant working on our character to be usable by him. Amen? Well, we're uh, back on our series of the original spoken word, the prophets, and today we're going to turn our attention to Habakkuk. And we're going to cover the whole book in one swoop. I've shared this uh, this book in a different fashion some time ago, uh, but this is, we've pretty much walked through most of the, the minor prophets and we'll continue to do so. My prayer and my hope is not that I get up here and give witty titles and messages and ideas and thoughts and you go, but that we open up God's word to you so that years down the road, when you open up the book of Habakkuk, you'll be able to open it up on your own. It's important for you, for you to have your own walk with God, for you to have your own relationship, for you to have your, your own word that you're walking with him. And God wants to speak to you. And he said it, and every bit of it is in this book. And he doesn't need to add to it. And if anything, he's going to speak out of it into your life. And so it's important to be in the word of God. I want to encourage you to do that. And so as we get into the book of Habakkuk here, I would say if, I, if there was a subtitle to it, other than the name of the prophet, I would say, when the God you understood behaves in a way you don't understand. Let me say it again. The message of Habakkuk is this. When the God you understood behaves in a way that you don't understand. Pray with me. Lord, one last time, just ask. Touch your word. You say you honor it above your name. And uh, I pray that you would speak specifically into the private lives of people. This message has nothing to do with anyone in here. It's not prepared for anyone in mind with their personal circumstances, but I know how you work. You're going to speak very specifically to our trials, to our questions, to our fears, to our hopes, and I pray that you will help us to come out the other side of life with a song of praise because it's not about what you do for us. It's about who you are, and that alone makes you worthy of everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Boy, that's, those few statements really uh, speak so much. I have to say, I did fact-checking on Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yes, Emancipation Proclamation makes sense because Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, there's a phrase in there that reads like this. You complete it with me. Liberty for all. Liberty and justice for all. Got a phony copy of it here. Someone leaned over and said, did Nicolas Cage give you that national treasure? No. (laughs) Liberty and justice for all, right? We the people. How many of you watch Schoolhouse Rock? We the people. In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Liberty and justice for all. I'm going to do the signals here. Boom. Really, 
because we didn't have a chance to have these missionaries here, but we will. But I'd like to share with you about Denny and Debbie Sellers. If liberty and justice for all is a all-encompassing value, their story makes me question that. See, they are, in fact, he was a minister and a, he was in charge of youth ministry when I came to Christ as a teenager. And um, him and his wife said, you know what? It's not about us. Whatever you want to do with us, Lord, we'll do it. And so they felt a call to missions, which is exactly why we do faith promises to empower the gospel around the world. And so they started that whole process. They went down into Latin America. Um, he did some work with Bible colleges. They would feed the hungry. They would have clinics for the sick. They would do all these things. And one day they pull into their driveway. They walk into their house. As soon as he walks through the door, Denny is pistol whipped in the back of the head and his wife and him are taped to a chair, tied up, duct taped. Now his wife is panicking, I would panic. Never had that happen to me. And they're in their house. They're wondering what in the world's gonna happen here. She's screaming and crying and, and just nervous and probably filled with adrenaline. And one of, one, of the, one of the burglars that was there wants her to be quiet. So he takes an extension cord and rams it down her throat to her stomach and yanks it out and tells her basically, shut your mouth. They're wondering if they're gonna get killed. By a miracle, to this day, they know exactly what it was, but the people that did the house invasion didn't know. All of a sudden, the car alarm on their car goes off. Beep, beep, beep. One day, you may actually appreciate and thank God for that thing, but it goes off. They panic, they freak out, they run. This is why I love it. One of our, uh, our sister church, Calvary, we're called sisters, which basically means if you're a daughter church, they give you some money and help you time to time. Sister, they tell you, go talk to your husband. So um, large church, love it, great community. Um, but they are a kind of church that is one of, the, they're the third largest missions giving church in all of our denomination. And when they heard that, they instantly said, you need to come home. They flew them back to the States. They put them in counseling. Everybody say, yes, counseling. Because there are some problems that are just too complicated for us and counselors. And again, if you go on the website, lolag.com, and you click on about us and use or, or event about, and you go scroll down, there's a section called Christian counseling. You click on that. You can make an appointment and uh, begin the journey. And I encourage you to do that. If you're stuck, it's a great place. This pastor has gone to counseling himself too. There's nothing wrong with it. But if liberty and justice for all is that, then why are those guys free? Nobody's caught them. And they went and experienced such trauma and ter terror when they were just doing what was right and good and pure. Really, liberty and justice for all. Here goes another one for you. Ready? You got to complete this one with me. And they lived. Everyone go, aww. Cinderella's bridezilla, man. No, I'm just kidding. If everybody's to live happily and ever and after, then why doesn't everybody live? Last couple of weeks, I've been telling you about one of the missionaries we support, which is why we do faith promises, which is why we encourage you to join in that process. Not a penny comes to this church, it goes to missionaries. One of those missionaries, Max Brockmeyer, who was a student of mine, him and his wife are going to Spain to work with Convoy of Hope, but he called us as a church sometime back and said, please pray for my sister. She has a tumor the size of a grapefruit, and it, they're saying it's terminal. And we prayed, and some of you know, if you didn't hear this news, this is the miracle. She was completely, totally, and utterly healed. Now, when I say healed, right, like, I don't mean like the doctors think that the medical records got switched up. I mean, she had a visible tumor the size of a grapefruit, and it was gone. They have the MRIs, they have the CAT scans, they've got the pictures, it's there, it's gone bonafide miracle. Some of you might remember Paul Travers. In fact, I, uh, Jane, I saw you pop in here. I, you're here somewhere. I saw you, but there you are, smiling. Jimmy, what's up? Charlie Hustle. <laughs> so anyway, uh, go back one. I'm sorry. Paul Travers was down in Florida, and he was, uh, he was beginning a, a journey with cancer. He was down there with his daughter, his grandson. 
And then out in the middle of the night, God speaks to one of our church members and says, you need to call him up. And she just is like, listen, God wants to set you free. The Lord wants to be an important part of your life. She literally, for all intents and purposes, leads him to the Lord. And then he makes his way back here because his family's right in this area. And so he comes back and this picture is actually with him and I uh, at Boston Hospital. I began to go with him for his, his chemotherapy at the hospital. And so... I love this guy, man. He was like, he was like my bro, my friend. Like we were, we were growing close. There was, if there was ever anybody that did like a, a 180, man, it was him. He was a rascal, wasn't he? He just totally turned it around. And he's like, I, I just want to serve God. I just, I, I, I'm a different person. I, I just want to glorify Jesus. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know how to do it, but I just want, like, he was so full of love for God, and, and it was awesome hanging around him. I was hanging around him, not out of pity. I was hanging around him because I was getting encouraged, and, and in fact, I have friends at Brooklyn Tabernacle, and so we called them, and I said, listen, I asked him, I said, what, what you know, here's, let's call Make-A-Wish. I said, you're a Make-A-Wish, the kid, right? What's something you want to do? He says, well, I've never been to New York City. I go, bro, don't sweat it. That's like my second home. Get in the car. We went to New York City for a day. I took them to the top of uh, One World Tower. We went and did Ray's Famous Pizza. We're hanging out. And then that night, boom, we're at the Brooklyn Tabernacle prayer meeting. 4,000 people calling out on God with all their heart, soul, might, and strength. And then Pastor Jim has them come forward. And the, the P- I'm there with, uh, you probably see Enzo on the, on the end there. That's your cousin, kid. And so Enzo's with me. And we're praying for him. We're like, God, celebrate you. I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, God, you're going to do it. You're going to heal him. You're going to change him. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to. Gonna, you're going to just give them a whole life of serving you and loving you. But it's not what happened. My last week with him, he kind of looks at me and he's like, Paul, I just want more time. After he passed, I hopped in a car and I went down to a monastery in Rhode Island. It's just, just every once in a while I get away for a couple of days to pray because good grief, I, if, if this depends on me, you're all in trouble. Every once in a while, I get away, and I'm like, God, I just don't know what to do. You got you to gotta give me. But little did I know that Paul became this personification of every disappointment in my life, every battle, every hope, every dream, every, and it just crashed. And I'm telling you, I, I wept uncontrollably probably for like about two hours. I'd never, I've never wept like that before. I feel like in God's graciousness, he compacted all of the grief in my life, all of the loss in my life, all of the disappointment, and just said, I'm gonna leverage this to just give you a fresh purge, Paul. And I just, I broke. Why? Why is it that not everybody lives happily ever after? How long do I have to deal with this stuff? I just, sometimes life doesn't seem fair. And it never goes the way that you imagine it. You, when you're a kid, all your life, you have all these ideas of where you're going to be, who you're going to be with, what you're going to do. That is called fantasy. Life never happens that way. Life with God means that you take it as it comes to you and you are faithful to him and you're faithful to what's given to you. And out of that, God grows beautiful things in our life when we're faithful not to the fantasy of what we think our life is supposed to be, but to the reality of what it is. You just get one life. And when I look at Habakkuk, really at the end of the day, Habakkuk is a book that is just unique and different from all of these because when you look at Isaiah, he's like, the, the wilderness will bloom like the, like the, the Sharon, like the, the, this beautiful blossom. And if, I've seen that before where this desert turns into an explosion of purple and it's so beautiful. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord's on me. He's anointed me to do this, that, and the other thing. And, but Habakkuk is the guy Habakkuk is the guy who says, let me show you what it's like when nothing goes the way you hoped and everything you were praying for falls through and how to come out the other side of that and know that God is good, he's just not always safe. You see, when Habakkuk began to write, there's this big history of Israel, and it's all in this page, and this is why we hand these things out. We just, you get Bible college classes, man. We just throw that in there for you because to really know the big picture of Israel, you've got like 
a thousand plus years of history. King David, everybody knows him, right? He told, Kanye West has nothing on David. He was banging out Jesus as Lord long before that, right? And so he does his albums called the Psalms and he kicks out a kid named Solomon. And so his son Solomon is like this really wicked smart guy and he rules the kingdom. And then no further does it go to his grandkid, which is usually, see, God doesn't have any grandchildren. If you want a relationship with Jesus, it's, it's direct connect. You don't inherit that stuff. And I don't care who, how, how many people prophesied over you or what your mama said about you. Everybody's got a mama that loves you. But you know what? The promises of God are yes and amen. And you got to live and go for them. Nobody's going to hand them to you and they're not going to drop out of heaven. You got you to gotta live a life worthy of the calling. And so Rehoboam, his grandson, totally ruins the whole thing. And now what was one country united, the utopian dream of heaven on earth with King David gets split right down the middle, just like a civil war, the north, which is Israel, and the south, which is Judah. And they go on for about, for about a century and the first, the northern country, the northern part of Israel was, was they were kind of like the, you got more than one kid, you know that one of them tends to be naughtier than the other, right? I'm looking at my son Andrew right now, but you know, I'm just kidding. So one of them tends to be a little bit more fresh and naughty than the other, and it's like Israel, the north part of the country was the, was the naughtier kind. They, they throw, cast off all restraint through themselves. They said, you know what? If God doesn't bring me the answer when I want it, how I want it, when I need it, then let me just throw the dice and try these other gods and these other methods. And, you know, let me go to Tony Robbins, get your, you know, make wealth stuff. Let me make my life happen. I'm in control of my life. And so they, they just throw off all restraints. And, and no sooner does God send a spanking to them through an army in 722 called Assyria. And they're gone. They're wiped off the face of the earth. The South kind of takes notice, and you think that they would learn from what happened, but the same thing happens with them. See, you've got to be, Christianity is a full contact sport, and when I say that, I mean it's MMA, elbows, knees, it's not none of this, like, you know, you've got to throw yourself into that, you've got to persevere, and like, like Judah didn't do it, they just drifted further and further away, and then finally in 586 BC, no sooner than, than, you know, a couple of centuries after King David, the whole dream is over. God sends in the Babylonians and they wipe them off the face of the earth. Jeremiah is walking the street, dripping tears, telling everybody, God's gonna send an army. Everybody's like, you're out of your mind. We've got the best economy in the world. You're crazy. We've got a church to go to. You're out of your mind. What are you talking about? And Habakkuk's like, no. God's sending judgment. You need to dial into it. Right at that same time before the war happens and before Jeremiah really hits the streets, Habakkuk gets a call from heaven. It says, nobody knows this. This is insider trading. I'm giving you a heads up. War is coming. And I'm going to test the faith of all men. And I want to show people what the secret sauce to keeping strong with me when you're surrounded by things that will completely and utterly weaken your life. And here's where we come to the book of Habakkuk. It's really prophetic literature, and it's really this. It's, if I were to oversimplify it, it'd be this. The prophet has a chapter conversation with God. God replies. He goes to the second chapter. He has another conversation with God. God replies. And then finally, he decides, God's really not gonna answer my questions. And so he puts together a song, just like David. And that's how he concludes it. So let me, let me skip forward here, right, to the first. There's really four things that I want to point out in this book that I think are going to really radically help you and help me. And they have. This book, probably out of all of the Old Testament prophets, this is the one that I've grabbed the most. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, the book Habakkuk, his name means to cling and it was from the message of this book that I learned that, you know what? Despite what's going on around me, I need to hold on to God, to cling to him. Because really the title of his book is simply this, when, when the God you understood behaves in a way you don't understand. Let me say that again. The message of the prophet Habakkuk is simply this, when the God you understood behaves in a way you just don't understand. Father, again, I just ask you to help me and for your word to be timeless.
and timely. Be glorified in this place in Jesus' name, amen. So whether you uh, have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ or you're here for your 50th year and you've seen it all twice, this book is so relevant, man. And that background kind of sets the stage for this. And the first spot I want to talk here is with questions. You can jump forward to that one with questions, if you could do that. There it is. There's four parts to this, really. Questions, faith, prayer, and a song. So the question begins here. When, when the God you understood acts in a way you don't understand, you begin to have questions and ask God, well, what's going on? And so in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, verse 1, it says this. The burden the prophet Habakkuk saw. That's actually, the ESV renders it completely different. The oracle which the prophet did see. But the Hebrew here is really powerful because the word burden is the right thing. In fact, the word burden is used because it's a picture of a donkey being overloaded with so much rock and dust and weight, it's, it's literally like overwhelming to it. It's gonna get the job done, but barely. It might finish, it might even be its demise. It might collapse for, at the end of it, but it's gonna bear that burden. And he's saying, man, God showed me something before anyone else knew. It, he spoke to me what was happening down the road. This is what we call in prophecy foretelling. Listen, God's not into future telling. And you know what? If somebody has a word about your future every other day, can I just ask you as pastor, for those of you that say, you're my pastor, I trust you, please share that with me because people like sometimes saying, hey, God told me this, God told me that. And some of you, you love God so much, you'll just jump out there and go for it. And I'll be like, man, that ain't Jesus. That's pizza talking. But Sometimes God speaks into the future. Most of what the prophets did was foretell the future. In other words, they pointed to the God they knew, they pointed to the book he wrote, and they pointed to the people that were around them and said, hey, we need a front-end alignment here because the God who called you and the covenant he made with you is not the life you're living, and they were always calling people back into right relationship with him. That was the main thing that the prophets did. But every once in a while, they said, this is what's coming down the road. Habakkuk gets this inside phone call from God, and he's saying, bad times are coming. And it says this in chapter, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and then we're going to skip to verse 13. This one will be up there. It says this, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you... you idly look at wrong. He's got an accusation against God. He's saying, you're God, you're holy, you're right, I'm crying out to you, and you're doing nothing. Why? Why? Right? Then he goes on, he says, therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. You who are pure, your eyes to see, uh, then to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Why? Why? How long? In fact, if you were to just sum up his questions, it was simply that. Why? 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 I mean, I only threw two things out there that leave me scratching my head saying, God, why? I could sit here for hours and talk about my questions. Let's say that this is your church. This is, let's even dial it in and say, this is God and every good thing that he has for your life, right? And I want everything that God has for me. I do. And so this is me, and so I come to him, I come to him in prayer, I come to him in his word, I come to him in all the things that are called Christian disciplines that he says, this is how somebody who says they're my son, my daughter, this is how they live, this is what they do. And so I jump in there and I'm like, God, I want it all. I want everything you have for me. And then all of a sudden the difficulties come our way, the problems hit us, the injustices happen around us, and they begin to create questions which actually create holes in our life. And so I go out from church, from my time in prayer, from everywhere I'm going, and I just walk out and I'm just like, thank you, Lord. But as the week wears on, as the problems move forward, as the situations change, and as time passes, the longer I take a break from talking to him, praying to him, being around his people, the faster stuff pours out of my life. And no sooner do I get a few days or a few moments out from a good thing, and all of a sudden I'm empty, I'm barren, I'm dry, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed. And in fact, 
Sometimes I'm even mad. Yeah, I'm gonna. You got it. <laughs> Here it goes. This man's been mad at God. This man's looked at God and said, why? Why? All right, you don't want to answer me? At least tell me, how long? How long? Why? I mean, you're God. Why don't you make a move? Do something. I mean, the, the, the anguish sometimes that life can bring on us. And I mean, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but when it comes to words, I would rather somebody twist a good knife in me physically than to twist a good word in my heart and in my head that tries to dismantle me. I'd just rather get stabbed. Been, I, I just, I would, I would. Why? You know what's interesting? Uh, I, this is worth like a master's degree in the Middle East. I'm going to give you something here that most people don't know. When you read the Bible being quoted in the New Testament, you have to understand that there are no chapters, there are no verses. I can't say to you, turn to Psalm 23. Oh, yes, yeah, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall. That's not how they worked, but when you were a good Jewish kid, you had the first five books memorized. If you were a good, solid Jewish community member, you had a lot more. And then if you were a, a sage and everyone wanted to be, if you got to that status, my goodness, you had the entire Old Testament memorized. These are people of memory. I had a professor who was translating the Dead Sea Scrolls, and while they were doing it, they were using Jewish literature to help understand what certain Jewish words meant. And every once in a while, he'd say, stop, and his serial number from the Holocaust was on him, and he would begin to quote books that were on the shelf for memory, sometimes for five minutes, sometimes for 15 minutes, sometimes for 50 minutes. See, these were people of the memory of the mind, they took the books away from them, but they couldn't take the book out of them. And when Jesus is on the cross, he, he has a question. Look at this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, when we read this, this is what we do in the East, or in the West, in the West. We think at the passage theologically, and we say, well, theologically, this is the moment where sin was put upon Jesus, and he was separated from God, and God withdrew himself from him, and, and, and the agony is, is the feeling of the absence of God. And I would say to you, theologically, that's correct, but from hermeneutically, from the Jewish perspective, it's, it's missing a deeper point that's trying to be made. Turn with me to where this verse is found in Psalm 23 real quick. If you got it in the Bible in front of you, you could shout out that page number. That'll help others get there. Psalm 22, right before Psalm 23. It won't work for me because mine's a different version. Page 505. Bingo. <laughs> Listen to this. To the choir master. In other words, this is a song. <laughs> this would really make it big in the Christian hit list, right? Uh, Elevation worship. My God, my God, you have forsaken me. Like, that's not going anywhere. I'll have to rework that. Like, God's on sabbatical. Psalm 22. For the choir master. It's a song. Psalm of David. David wrote this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, from saving me from the words of my groanings? Oh, my God, I cry to you, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. When Jesus quotes this, he just turned every Jew to this page and verse, because there are no verses or pages, and he says, I want you to think about everything that's connected to this thought. Listen to him as he continues. He goes on to say, yet yeah, you are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. Does that sound like somebody abandoned by God? You see, the truth of the matter is, is you and I are just like that. In our anguish and in our hurt, it's not that we don't love God, but we cry out and say, oh God, where are you? Why are you? Or we even say, who are you? Because the God that I understood is not acting in a way that I understand him to act. And I'm a little confused. And it would help me if you brought me in on this because I think I deserve to know and understand and this is just a truth. I'm just going to fast track it for you in your life. And some of you will just shake your heads that are older and wiser and get it. But I've come to realize that God never intended for life to unfold in such a way that he has to talk me through things and 
bring me to an understanding until I feel good about it. He just doesn't have to do that. He just says, just trust me, trust me. So look at what happens here in the next section here of what I would call faith. What does faith look like when the God you understood behaves and answers in a way you don't understand? Habakkuk in chapter one, verse 12, he says, you, you are not, are you not from everlasting? Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. And listen to the denial in his voice. We shall not die. I'll never forget a young girl named Chelsea Stratoff, her mom, Jackie Stratoff. You guys remember Jackie when she came here? She's like a mom. We love her. And her husband, her, and her daughter went down to Brownsville Revival. She is like the daughter of David Wilkerson. She's the darling of that family. And, and uh, while they were down there, her father had a heart attack. Jackie came home, put him in the front seat of the car, drove him to the hospital. Short time later, Jackie comes back and she's in alone and Chelsea screams at her and is like, where's dad? She goes, uh, he didn't make it, Chelsea. He didn't make it. And Chelsea just had a total denial meltdown. She said, no, he did, he did. She ran out the door and we journeyed with her through this whole thing. She, she like was in such shock. She threw up all over herself. She fell all over the place. And many of you had a moment like that in your life. She banged on the neighbor's door, ran right past them into the bathroom. I mean, it was just a mess. And she, she came back and after he passed away, they came back and we, they were once again back in our life and we journeyed with her through that. But I'll never forget Sometimes how, when you're shocked with something you just don't want to face, how human nature is just like, no, no. You're, you're God. You're from everlasting to everlasting, Lord, my holy one. This shouldn't happen. How do you respond when the God you understood behaves in a way you don't understand? What do you do? God suggests something here, and he suggests it in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Let me read it to you. And he answered me, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so he may run with, run with whoever reads it. For still the vision awaits an appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It surely will come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but, listen to this, the righteous shall live by faith. See, what's amazing is, is Habakkuk, God says to him, I'm going to punish my people. This charade's over. And he's like, but God, there are good people here. Why, why do the righteous suffer with the wicked? But, but wait a second, that... I understand you to be holy and good. Why, who are you? What are you doing? Why don't give, say, hey, answer me. Talk to me. Oh, 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 we won't die. And then God replies back to him, oh, I'm sending the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And he talks about, what's amazing is, is God never answers his question. He actually tells him how bad it's going to be. Have you ever asked God questions seeking answers? And are met with silence. This man's not just met with silence. He's met with a description of how horrible, how difficult it's going to be. And it's like, wait a second. I thought if I became a Christian, like, everything's going to go good for me. I mean, like, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And like, I'm a child of the king. I'm blessed. And, I, and God just says to him, listen, Habakkuk, here's the thing. I'm good. But life sometimes isn't. And this life is not the point. I'm the point. And I don't want you to be puffed up and arrogant and angry and walk away and fall away from me. What I want you to do is live up to your name and Habakkuk, cling to me. Because I'm about to behave in a way you don't understand, but I don't have to explain it to you. What you need to do is trust me. And we call that faith. Check it out. This is beautiful thing. Take that same bucket, take those same holes, and add faith to the equation, right? 
And all of a sudden, it's not perfect, but I'm able to contain myself, and God's able to hold my stuff together. Not because I don't have questions. I'm always going to have questions. There's going to be holes in my argument, holes in my understanding. The difference is, is that God wants to insert faith into my life so that despite my questions, despite my, despite my losses, despite my pains, that God holds my life together. Not because I understand, but I learn, oh God, I don't know how, I don't know why, this makes no sense to me, but I trust you. Amen. You see, this is the interesting thing about the, the word faith, right? This is the interesting thing. I don't know why I always shut you guys down when you start to clap. Like, that's good, right? Let's do it. I just got to embrace that. That's a good truth. Thank you. All right. It's not my truth. It's God's and it's Habakkuk's, right? So, but, but listen, the word faith is misunderstood in our culture so poorly. We think faith is that thing that we just apply our mental energy to, like, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. If we say it enough, if we believe it in our heart, it's not, believe is the worst word to use for the word faith. You know what the word really means in Hebrew? Faithfulness. How is that, like, radical? Why would I be like, that's amazing? Because listen to the wording of this differently. This is one scholar's translation. He takes a little bit of an amplified liberty, but it really captures. He says, but the righteous will live by being faithful to their covenant relationship with God. You see, this is the thing about faith, is that faith is necessary because doubt is always going to be present. Questions will always be drill into your life. God sometimes who you understand will act in a way that you don't and you will be faced with a challenge and a moment and a decision to either say, well, if this is what God is about and if this is what Christianity is about, then I don't need you and I don't want it. And then all of a sudden, every Christian becomes a target for your life. And, and here's the thing too is, is you can begin, listen, you might, you might be badgered by me as a pastor every once in a while saying, yo, where were you? What's up with you? Like, like why are you, do-? listen, the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering and the fellowship of the people. Listen, there are certain indicators that show that you're drifting, that you're leaking, and that you take that thing that God's doing and you just, begin, you just think you're fine on your own and you just begin to drip and hemorrhage out all over the place. And then you wonder why uh, down the road, like, man, I've got this problem. I've got this, uh, I've got this anxiety. I've got this, this, this depression. I've got all these things and my life's falling apart when the whole time God is saying, listen, I want you to not believe in me, I want you to be faithful to me. The righteous don't live by belief. The righteous get going when the going gets rough. And they show up and they say, I don't care how it feels, I don't care what I think. I don't. Now let me make a, a clause here. This does not mean if you are overwhelmed with too many things in your life that you don't need to look at some things and say that needs to go, this needs to go. I'm communicating right here to some of you right now. Sometimes you need to do more by doing less. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about where all of a sudden you just pop your relationship with Jesus in cruise control. And you just, you're like, man, God, my, I'll never... Well, I, I could sit here and tell stories all day, but let me, let, me, let me land this thing. There are two examples. My wife and I were talking about this. Now, this isn't my observation. This was hers. It was really good. But there are two examples in the Bible. One of them is David, and the other one is Daniel. And it, it's, it shows somebody that just says, you know what? I don't care what's going on around me. I don't care what's happened to me. I don't even care what happens with me. I don't praise and worship and serve God for what he does for me. I do it because of who he is. There's a radical difference of how your Christian walk will go if you are committed to the goodness of God because when that goodness faucet shuts down, that's where a lot of people shut down with it and they say, well, what's up? When, you know, why is not? Like, you know, and that's the point where God's saying, hey, hold tight. Don't look for understanding. Don't, don't think that, that, that like, 
you know, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for direction. Stay with me. Walk with me. Focus on me. It's almost like a voice in the darkness when you can't see your way. God's like saying, over here, move a little bit to the left and the right. Just trust me. Walk with me. And in 2 Samuel 12, verses 21 to 23, David, God, God is told by God that he's going to lose one of his kids. And so what does he do? He, he fasts. He prays. He's trying to change God's heart and mind. And it says that all of a sudden, as soon as the, he got news that his, his servants were worried to tell him, they're like, if he's acting like this, what is he going to do if we tell him that the child passed? And all of a sudden, he gets up, he puts on his nice suit, sprays some cologne on, brushes his teeth, says, all right, to kingdom business, what's up next? Bring in the next person. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, bro, what just happened with you? And he says, they said this, they said, what is this thing that you've done? You fasted, you've wept for the child while he was alive, but when he died, you arose and ate food. And he said to them, he said, listen, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live, but he didn't. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back to me again? No, I will go to him but he will not return to me. I, I, I don't know about you, but I really envy people that are able in a healthy way, there's unhealthy ways of doing this, but in a healthy way that when they realize like ruminating on that problem, thinking through and looking at life through the rear view mirror is just not gonna help you move forward and you just say, you know what? I need to just change direction here. That's what faithfulness does. It doesn't walk out on God and say, thanks a lot, God. Peace thought you were good. You're not even talking to me. I bet you hate me. I hate you. Anybody ever pray like that? Just being real. See, we don't know everything. But we, what we do know, we know, right? Daniel says this. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, he says, our God, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, listen, we got a new policy in town, new God. As soon as you hear the tune, it, 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 Kanye West sold music, right? You hear that music jam, you've got to bow down, worship my idol, and da-da-da-da-da. You know, this is before Jesus' king comes out, right? So they're like, as soon as we do this, you worship this idol of the king. You bow down to it. And these young Hebrew men who are godly guys said, hey, listen, really nice. Appreciate it but you could offer me a thousand times to do it. I ain't bowing, I ain't worshiping, and I'm not doing it. And this is what they say, and this is a statement of faith, which is not belief. It is faithfulness to the God who you have committed to in covenant. doesn't matter what he does or doesn't do for you. This is faithfulness as you hold the course. You, you keep the character. Character is what you are when nobody's watching, what you say when nobody's listening. And they said, listen, the, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, but know this, O king, that regardless of whether we die or not, we will not serve your gods, worship your golden image that you have set up, because we are faithful. I think about Pastor Wally, a guy who was on death row. It was over. It was over. And it's a miracle. I mean, God has been glorified through him sharing his story all over the world. But what would I have been like in that moment? Because faith is not belief. It's faithfulness to the God that behaves in a way you don't understand. And that's what Habakkuk is struggling with. And so all of a sudden he hears God and he begins to think about his relationship with him. He says, all right, I can do this. I don't have to understand it. And he squeaks out a tiny prayer. And he says this in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. According to the Shigianoth, which is a musical term. So here we know that this guy probably was a musician, most likely potentially familiar with, if not writing songs for the temple. And if a guy who's in the temple can struggle with questions and frustrations with God, maybe it's okay for you and me. And he says this. O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O oh Lord. Do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. But just do this, Lord, in wrath. Remember mercy. 
He realizes the one thing that you and I, the number one cause for depression is control. Because you never were in control. I never was in control. I don't have any control over the breath of my life. I could have a heart attack right here. I can't change anybody in a lasting way. God's trying to help him to understand, and he's coming to understand he never was in control. So he says, if you can't beat him, praise him. And that's why I'm going to just ask the worship team to come up, and that's what we're going to do here. See, when I was working in Providence, Rhode Island, we were working in the housing development projects for years, and there was a time where I felt like we were just burying kids. And one kid, I just don't even want to go through the stories, but I broke. I was like, God, why? Why? I hopped in my car and I drove. And I'm telling you, I always heard people talk about this, but I never understood it, but I, I do now. I just hopped in my car. I couldn't tell you where the four hours, three and a half hours went, but I got in my car in Rhode Island and drove. And when I stopped, I was right in front of Mount Washington in New Hampshire. And with all of my frustration, all of my anger, I'm just like, what am I doing? Nobody in the church knows or cares what we are. We're like pulling kids out of gangs and trying to invest in kids' lives and give them a safe space to be a kid for a couple of hours a week, and now they're getting killed. And I'm like, I, I can't take it. And I snapped. And with all of that frustration, anger, and just, it was ugly. I just ran up the mountain as far as I could. And I collapsed, and I just started weeping. And I'm waiting to hear from God, like, I can't believe you spoke to me that way. I can't believe you just drove away. I can't believe you. And instead of saying that, God spoke the most liberating words I ever heard in my life to my heart. For those of you that are new to Christianity, it's not like I got a text or I heard an audible voice. It wasn't like that, but it was this thought that could never have come from me. God says this, Paul, I love you for who you are and not what you do for me. And if you never do this serving me again, I want you to know I won't bless your life any less. And then at that point, I'm weeping. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, God. <laughs> Let me drive back. And then I'm like, oh shoot, I couldn't afford this gas in my budget. How am I going to do this, you know? And a song began to arise in my heart because when the God you thought you understood behaves in a way you don't understand, what you do is, is you say, all right, I'm not going to work this out, but what I am going to do is make this promise to you, God, as best I can. I'm not going to do it and stand here until you explain it to me so I understand, wait you out until I believe in my heart. I'm just going to say, I'm going to do and let my feelings catch up to me later, and I'm going to continue in faithfulness. You want me in church? I'll be there. You want me to learn to pray? I'll learn to pray. You want me to read your word? I'll do it. You want me to be in fellowship with other Christians? I'll do it. You want me in Celebrate Recovery? I'll be there. You want me going to a small group? I'll do it. You want, you want me to give back a portion of what I have? It's yours. What do you want? Anything. It's yours, God. Here it is. And he turns around in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, and it reads like this. All right, bet. You're not going to explain it to me. You don't need to anymore, God. You're acting in a way I don't understand. I, I, I'm just not going to try and figure that out because all I'm going to do is end up depressed and angry and, and it's not getting anywhere here. You told me how bad it's going to be and you tell me just trust you. Even though it looks dark, I'm going to trust you. All right, fine. But I want you to know something. I praise you not because of what you do for me. I praise you because of who you are. So let me tell you something, God. Let me get out my guitar and sing something to you. Though the fig tree fail to blossom, though there be no fruit on the vine, though you produce, the olive produces no fruit and it fails and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off, the, the fold of the sheep and there be no herd in the stall. I want you to know something. Take away my check. Take away my friend. Take away my sanity. Take away my dreams. Take away my desires and my hopes. Take them all away. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord my God. I take joy in God, the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He makes me tread on the high places. And here it is. Here's the last words. Nobody gets this, but I'll hold this till the last breath. Maybe this will be the last breath I breathe out. You know what my last words I want to be? 
to the choir master with the stringed instruments. You see, God wants to turn our burdens into songs. It started out at the beginning with a burden that prophet Habakkuk saw and he asked questions and he was angry at God and God didn't tell him what he wanted to hear and he got answers he didn't want to hear, but he was able to hinge and move on and say, oh, this isn't about me believing or me liking. This is about me just being faithful when a God I understood behaves in a way I don't understand. And you know what? The heck with it all. Just scrap all that. God, I love you. I praise you. I don't understand you. But you know what? This life is not the point. One day I'm going to stand before you and I'm going to realize that I had the privilege of being part of a greater picture in a performance of this thing called your kingdom come and your will be done and it wasn't about me and it wasn't about my 401k and it wasn't about my comfort and it wasn't about my family it was about you all along it was about you listen wait 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 hold it this is the beauty of this everybody talks about the Shekinah glory of God it's like the one Hebrew word that gets out there and everybody's like show me the Shekinah you can have it you know what I want the one word for God and his glory when we say, show me your glory, it's this kaved. Kaved is a Hebrew word that is used when you put so much gold on someone they can't even stand. It's the picture of when Joseph put gold on his brothers and when he was adorned with gold by the Pharaoh, the kaved. But it's also the word that not Shekinah, it's kaved that's used over and over again. When the glory of God fell in the house of God, there was a weight, there was a presence, and the priests were on their face before God and wouldn't look up for fear that they'd stare in it. The kaved of God. You know what? God wants to move us from our questions and our burdens and our doubts. He wants to move us out of a burden that we see and he wants to move us into a song of kaved where we begin to praise God and say, Lord, it doesn't matter how heavy my problems are, how big my questions are, those aren't what's important. What's important is, is that I have the weight of you in my life and that I can sing to you like Job did, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. Maybe you're like me. You've said some things to God that you regret but I want the last words in my life to be this. I don't know, babe, I don't know. I hope I get it. <laughs> I might have a bad memory, but I wanna say, oh God, to the stringed instruments. I didn't understand everything in my life, but you're good. You're not always safe, but you're good. That's what I want us to do is sing this song. This is our altar today. You could sing it in your seat. You could sing it up here, but maybe for some of you, the God you thought you understood is behaving in a way you don't understand. And he wants you to move on from belief and question. He wants to insulate the bucket of your life. It's okay to have those holes. It's normal, you're human. But he wants you to begin to say, don't wait, do, and let the feelings catch up. Be faithful to him. You have an obligation to him. You have a relationship to him. He didn't become Lord of your good moments. He became Lord of everything, which means he owns it all, you. And then say, oh God, I don't know how, but would you just take this burden, this confusion, this pain, and I'm just gonna turn it into a song of praise to you for the glory of your honor. Maybe you'll explain it to me one day, but if not, I want you to know I praise you, not for who you are and what you do for me, but for what you are, you're the God of all the universe, for the stringed instruments. Let's stand and sing this. And when you feel dismissed, you're welcome to go. If you wanna sing it up here, you can. If you wanna sing it out there, you can, but my goodness, sing it. Sing your burdens into songs today, In Jesus' name. We worship you, Jesus, God.